I'm Rachel Gottbaum for the New England Journal of Medicine. Earlier this month, a leaked draft opinion revealed that the U.S. Supreme Court intends to overturn Roe v. Wade. For the public, this news may not be new. But for clinicians who train medical residents and provide OBGYN care, this Supreme Court draft opinion simply confirms what they have been trying to prepare for for months, the banning of abortion in much of the country. We're joined by Dr. Lisa Harris. She's a professor of reproductive health and obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Michigan, where she also runs the fellowship program in family planning. Dr. Harris, when you first learned about the leaked draft Supreme Court opinion to overturn Roe versus Wade, what was your reaction? So many images went through my head when I saw this news. I was picturing the patients that were on our schedule this week. I was picturing the patients we'd cared for last week. I don't know what they would have done if they couldn't get this care. So one of them was a teenager who had some kind of trauma in her history. I don't know the nature of it, if it was sexual trauma or something else, and was just unable to even tolerate anybody touching her. And so was unable to tolerate an abortion procedure in an outpatient setting and needed to have general anesthetic. So we arranged for her to have that care at our hospital at University of Michigan. So I was thinking about her. I was thinking about a patient we were going to see the next week who had several children and she'd had several cesarean sections and One of the complications in a future pregnancy, if you've had a past cesarean, is that the placenta can grow into the wall of the uterus and even into the bladder. It generally always involves a hysterectomy at the time of birth and massive blood transfusions and severe complications. In this case, our patient had many children and she was more concerned about being alive and well to be a mother to the children that she had than continuing this current pregnancy. Those were just the two people that immediately went through my head and neither of them would have been able to easily say, go to Illinois, which is likely where care for many Michigan residents will be in the future. One was a teenager without resources and the other could never safely end a pregnancy in any outpatient setting. Someone like her needed the most specialized tertiary care that's available. What could this mean in Michigan, where you train providers and also care for women who need elective and medically necessary abortions? Here in Michigan, abortion already is illegal. We have a 1931 law on the books that says abortion is a crime. The only exception is to save the life of the woman, to preserve the life. That's the exact words. That law can't be enforced currently, though, because of Roe versus Wade. So if Roe is overturned and abortion law goes back to the states, then we will be living with that 1931 law here in Michigan. And the only abortions that will be permitted are those that, to quote from the law, preserve the life of the pregnant patient. On its face, it seems like maybe that would be obvious what that means, but in practice, it's not. And and that's what's so hard about this is on the ground, in practice, things are way more nuanced and complicated than any legislator or justice could ever understand. My colleagues and I, we've all performed abortions and provided abortion care in our hospitals, intensive care units, in the operating room with critically ill patients for whom ending the pregnancy, it was really 
last ditch effort to save them. Sometimes they have life-threatening pregnancy complications like severe preeclampsia or hypertensive disorders. Sometimes they have liver failure in the setting of preeclampsia. Sometimes they may be septic. They have an infection that spread throughout all of their body that started in their uterus. And so we're doing a life-saving abortion. And so then it's obvious this is to preserve the life of the pregnant patient. But we see so many patients, especially in a tertiary care center like our hospital, who have significant underlying medical illnesses. So heart failure, lupus, kidney failure, you know, on and on. And it's unclear what life-saving means in that setting. So if someone's pregnant and they have heart failure and, you know, the numbers range quite substantially anywhere from eight to over 50% chance of dying for someone who has pulmonary hypertension. Is that enough of a risk of dying that ending a pregnancy in that setting would be considered a life-saving abortion? Or does that risk need to be more than 50%? Or does it need to be 100%? Does it need that patient who's critically ill in the intensive care unit? It's very unclear what that means. We also see patients who are diagnosed with cancer for the first time during pregnancies. Pregnancy happens to be a time where people who ordinarily may not have medical insurance suddenly do and get screening and other kinds of care they may not have access to at other times. And we sometimes diagnose cancer. I can think of two patients, one who had a new breast cancer diagnosis, one who had a cervical cancer diagnosis. And ending the pregnancy in order to pursue treatment right away is a decision that sometimes women will make in that situation. You know, is, is that a life-saving abortion? She's not imminently at risk of dying. She could continue the pregnancy and give birth and then pursue treatment. But maybe five years from then would be where her life is cut short by her cancer because she didn't get early treatment. So there's a lot of complexity in what it means to do an abortion to preserve the life of a pregnant patient. You and your colleagues across the country have already been dealing with the impacts of state restrictions on abortion. For example, in Texas, tell us about that. I can tell you here in Michigan, we've seen and cared for patients from Texas. So patients are not able to get the care that they need locally. And some of them who have resources are getting on a plane and trying to come to Michigan. Indirectly, the most important way it's impacting me is bearing witness to the distress and pain of my colleagues who daily are turning patients away. Some are able to get care out of state and some are giving birth. Some are also managing their own abortions. What do you mean by self-managing an abortion? What that generally means and what I hope it will continue to mean is that people use safe medications to end their own pregnancy. Of course, when I say self-manage their own abortion, there's a chance that people won't have access to those medications. In that setting, people may use different methods and some of those may be unsafe. And I really do worry about that. That's what happened before Roe. It was routine that women, often young women, would have serious infections or hemorrhage from unsafe methods of abortion. I had a colleague once share with me that before Roe, when a surgical team of interns and residents was on call, that it was so predictable that very, very sick women would come in, often needing a hysterectomy because of an unsafe abortion that they could pre-assign those cases before the night even started. They would say, team A, you get the first patient. Team B, you get the second. Team C, you know, you get the third. And it was so common and routine that people could prepare for them at the beginning of the night. And he told me that literally overnight after Roe, that stopped. You and your colleagues at the University of Michigan have been preparing for months for a possible reversal of Roe versus Wade. 
What's that been like? We're thinking about how we help patients leave the state for abortion care. For us, that would likely be sending them to Illinois. Some you know, who have passports and transportation and who are adults may be able to cross the border to go to Canada, but that is unlikely for most people. You know, if we wanted to quote unquote what we say tee up patients when we are trying to get people ready for a procedure, it's really unclear if even efforts to tee up patients for care out of state would be in violation of Michigan's abortion ban. Here I'm thinking about things like blood work to make sure people aren't anemic prior to their procedure, or I'm thinking about an ultrasound to confirm the duration of their pregnancy so far. All of those things are really important in helping people determine precisely what care they need. The other aspect that's important, especially for a tertiary care center like us, is we see many people with complicated medical histories for whom seeking abortion care in an outpatient facility sometimes needs some screening and testing ahead of time beyond just an ultrasound and blood work. They may need an ultrasound or echo of their heart. They may need some specialized blood tests. They may need to go off anticoagulant or blood thinner medications. They may need to have high blood pressure medications adjusted so that they can you know, safely have a procedure. There are just countless things that need to be lined up for someone with serious medical problems to safely have an outpatient abortion. Then there are other patients who could never safely have an outpatient abortion because the nature of their underlying illness is so severe that they need care in a hospital setting, in an operating room setting. And it's really unclear if places like Illinois are going to have the operating room capacity to take on our patients and not just our patients, but you know, Ohio, Indiana, Missouri. I don't know if I'm going to be legally able to get people prepared and teed up for care out of state because it's really unclear how Michigan's law will be interpreted. Would that be interpreted as aiding and abetting or being part of the abortion care itself? It's really unclear. Even what a life-saving abortion means is unclear. So we don't know what abortions we may be able to continue to provide legally in the state. So what else are you doing to prepare? For example, with your training programs? We are also gearing up to send our trainees out of state. We train complex family planning fellows. There are a range of situations in which you really need some highly specialized care from someone who after their OBGYN residency or after their family medicine residency or after their physician's assistant or midwifery training got additional training. And right now that training is only offered in obstetrics and gynecology programs like ours, and we will not be able to perform abortions here other than life-saving ones. So we're looking to Illinois, not just for our patients, but for our complex family planning fellows. We still need to make a plan for training our OBGYN residents. The accrediting body for OBGYN residencies requires that abortion training be available for that program to be considered a full-fledged accredited OBGYN program. It's unclear that we could even host an accredited program if we can't provide that training. So we're looking to Illinois for that, but so are, again, lots of other states. And it's unclear how the care providers in Illinois are going to manage all the patients that are coming their way. And if we can't provide that care here in Michigan, could we help our colleagues in another state provide that care? That's an area where, again, we have many, many questions, but we don't have firm answers because it's really unclear if holding a license in two states makes you need to follow the law in both of those states. So even though you might be in Illinois providing perfectly legal care, then you go home to Michigan where that care was not legal. And are there vulnerabilities there? The, again, unanswered questions. 
So if Roe versus Wade is overturned, what other options are you and your colleagues considering to be able to continue to provide safe abortion care? My colleagues and I have discussed all kinds of ways that we might legally be able to continue to care for our patients. So we're wondering about federal land within states. We're wondering, might it be legal in interstate waters on Lake Michigan? Might it be legal in the Detroit River between Michigan and Canada? Might there be a way for U.S. physicians to become licensed for specific purposes in southwestern Ontario in order to be able to provide care there? There are more questions than answers at this point. So what other questions remain for you as a clinician in Michigan? There are a lot of ambiguities in what gynecological care, standard of care, we can continue to provide in this new environment. So when someone comes in bleeding in early pregnancy, that could be a miscarriage. That could be because someone used medications. And honestly, we don't need to know the difference in order to treat them effectively. Where it will be complicated is if an ultrasound got ordered in the emergency department and there is still evidence of fetal cardiac activity. Can we empty the uterus then? How much does she need to be hemorrhaging for us to be able to do that? Does she need to be dying? Does she need two units of blood? Does she need 10 units of blood? Does she need to be in you know, disseminated intravascular coagulopathy? What, these are all the unanswered questions. Same with patients who come in and their membranes have ruptured prematurely. Standard of care would include offering them termination of pregnancy because the risk of infection, deadly infection even, is significant for them. And the risk of complications for their baby is also significant. And many people will choose to end the pregnancy in that setting. We don't know if we can do that. Do we need to wait until infection sets in? How serious does the infection need to be? Does she need to be septic? Does she need to be in the intensive care unit? These are all the kinds of questions that we have to ask ourselves. And sometimes every day that I see patients, I see something in a new way that someone's particular health, someone's particular pregnancy, their particular life circumstances all intersect in a way that I've never seen before. And because of that, it's so clear to me that there is no one size fits all law, in particular, not a ban that is going to serve all people well. You know, I've been a doctor for almost 30 years, and I am humbled by the way that something new presents itself, something I've never seen before, something I need consultation from my colleagues in family planning and maternal fetal medicine and gynecologic oncology. Teams sit down to figure out how are we going to manage this situation. And given that complexity, given how every person is different, it's so upsetting to think that people who don't see this, who haven't followed me around in the office, who haven't seen what happens in an operating room setting, to see patients suffering because of the way their body is experiencing illness and pregnancy. It's inconceivable to me that legislators and justices would even want to put themselves in that situation of telling other people how their pregnancy and therefore their life needs to unfold. How is this affecting you personally? My motivation for becoming a doctor and for including abortion care in my work to be with people whose pregnancies were taking them places they may or may not want to go to make sure they never had to be alone going through that. That's why I became a doctor. And that's why I've included abortion care in my work for my entire career, because a lot of people just want to turn their backs on people seeking abortion care. 
that's not something I could live with myself. My very reason for wanting to be a doctor won't be able to be. I, I will be in the position of saying, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I will be in the position of saying, I can't tell you where to go. I can't tell you how to get medications. I can't help you. I'm sorry. Like that, that's not okay. And that's the thing I, I think about in terms of its impact on me. So I will follow the law. And that may mean saying to many people that I can't help them. Do you think there'll be a recourse in Michigan of some kind? There's three things really that may happen. Our governor, Governor Gretchen Whitmer, as well as Planned Parenthood of Michigan, have both sued to prevent enforcement of the 1931 ban. They're hoping that Michigan's Supreme Court will take up the question of whether Michigan's ban is unconstitutional under Michigan's own state constitution. Those are two efforts that could prevent enforcement of the ban should Roe be overturned. And then uh, a coalition of reproductive health and rights and justice advocates is working on a ballot initiative. They're collecting signatures so that in November's ballot, Michigan citizens could determine whether abortion is protected and specifically named in Michigan's constitution as something that people have a right to. And then there are some other efforts underway. For example, individual prosecutors, as well as our state district attorney, have said that they will not prosecute. But that's really complicated because another prosecutor in another county could, and it, you know, it, it doesn't give a lot of us a lot of confidence that our patients or we would be legally safe. Dr. Lisa Harris is a professor of reproductive health and obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Michigan. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me.